Hello, Ani. Welcome back. <gasps> we made it to episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Communities of Wealth. I am here again, your host, facilitator, Shanna Pelche. I'm an Anishinaabe Kwe from Okomakong Unceded Territory. And sitting around the table with me, um, vaccinated, in case anyone's wondering, because <laughs> we're shooting this during COVID. But I have Thea to my left. Bojo. Hi, everyone. My name is Thea Belanger, and I am uh, Anishinaabe from Nipissing First Nation, and I'm also the project director for the Ontario Indigenous Youth Partnership Project. We also have Gabby back with us. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Gabrielle Fayon, also known as Gabby. I'm originally from Alberta. My family comes from Fishing Lake Métis Settlement, um, and I'm the project coordinator at OIP. Yay, and we have someone new today with us. Josh, you want to introduce yourself? Ani Bojo Kinawia, Northern Indigenous Kaz, Wukwemikang, Minawana, Swakamak, and Donjiba, Anishinaabe, King Donji, and the Medo Dam, Anishinaabe, and Dao, Odawa, and Dao, and Kinomagan, Minawash, Kebeos, and Dao, OCDSB, Minawa A7G, and Donoki, and Simadana Ashebejik, and Disobe Bonwe. Hello everyone, my name is Josh Lewis, that's my English name. My Anishinaabe name is Noden. Uh, my family originates from Wukwemekong First Nation, but I grew up in Sudbury, Ontario. Um, I live here now in unceded, unsurrendered Algonquin territory. Um, I'm a helper, I'm also an educator uh, in the community. Um, I'm 31 winters old, and I am a helper with uh, A7G, also known as Assembly of Seven Generation. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And he's also been an applicant at OIP through A7G. So we thought it would be great to have an applicant, you know, grantee voice here with us as we navigate this topic, which is the pandemic. <laughs> the dreaded pandemic. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and I guess where we can open up is, you know, how are y'all doing? <laughs> pandemic life let's just do a quick check-in yeah um i'm doing okay at this moment you know we're i'm i'm grateful and happy that majority of the people around me are healthy they're doing okay um no one's perfectly sick or anything like that so i'm grateful for the health and um having access to the vaccine and and everything like that so um but yeah, I we're also um, at, in this moment ready to start announcing our grantees for this year, which is an exciting time. It's always an exciting time of the year. So just grateful that we've made it again. We've gone through some really hard times, but um, you know, hopefully we'll coast through the next little while and be able to have like you know a much healthier and funner and uh, uh, more fruitful 2022. Yeah, and I'm doing pretty good. I'm also fully vaccinated. Um, so shout out to all those indigenous warriors in uh, the health departments and advocating on behalf of us. We all got vaccinated. <laughs> um, and so <clears throat> that's a really cool thing that happened too, is that a lot of the youth that we work with also are vaccinated. So we're actually in this really interesting space where technically we should be able to gather, but we aren't because, you know, the, the restrictions are still 
in place for no gatherings and such. Um, but I think that speaks to how we are as indigenous peoples is we're not selfish. You know, we're constantly thinking about the well-being of not only our communities, but everyone. And so um, that's been a really interesting place. But overall, it's been it's been OK. It's had some ups and downs. Um, it's been really nice to see how indigenous folks have you know, really come together. A lot of mutual aid has happened, a lot of community care. And so those are kind of my takeaways from the pandemic is, you know, focusing on, you know, how we've been able to get through this. And pandemics are nothing new to indigenous communities. Like we, we still have that, that memory of pandemics that happened not too long ago, even a couple decades ago and how they affect our communities differently. So it was really cool to see how indigenous folks were like, okay, there's a pandemic, we gotta stay safe and we're gonna you know keep each other safe, keep our most vulnerable population safe and uh, stick together. Yeah, so we wanted to shoot this episode as we are now again feeling the winds of change as people begin to get vaccinated and we sort of see a light at the end of the tunnel as we begin to sort of hopefully in 2022 feel some sense of like how we used to be before. But that that sentence in and of itself has its own implications as to the, the way that we used to operate before and sort of how the shift in society maybe have brought forth some new opportunities or ways of functioning, but it's also revealed a lot of uh, inequities that exist in our communities. And so we wanted to bring this topic up within the context of OIP to really talk about how this, our little, our little warrior organization has changed over the pandemic and also highlight some of those really important areas where we can improve to give young people access to different things in order to, you know, promote well-being. And so, Thea, I was wondering if you could take it away with maybe some of your initial thoughts of how the pandemic sort of impacted your work. Yeah, I, it's so interesting to kind of like look back at that because right before the pandemic sort of hit um, and, and was sort of a whisper in the wind. Um, you know, we were able to start our year off in the way we always do. We gathered together. We had all of our youth advisors together. We, we, we did the normal thing, you know, of like reviewing our values and, and reviewing the application. Um, we were even able to have our supporter meeting, which is something that we do every year as well, where we bring our supporters that includes like our funders and folks who provide um, maybe funds or other in-kind um, support. And we talk about what we've learned from our youth advisors and where we're going to be taking our work for the year. And so we were able to do all of that in person. And that was actually the last time that I was with a group of people. Um, so it's really strange to kind of think back to that. And so, and so when it, and it changed very, very quickly. Right. And as everybody knows, and I remember so we started to go into lockdowns in, in March and March is the month that we have our grant or, or, or call for applications open. And so right in the middle of that, we realized oh shit, we've got to like, we've got to change gears here, right? We've got to do something. And so one of the first things we did was we extended the deadline. So we obviously, that was a pretty obvious one, but we also needed to, um, you know, think about how do we support people in changing and in, in shifting their work, right? And, and and it was hard at that point too, because there was these, these feelings and these rumors of it kind of being like something very temporary 
and sort of little did we know at that moment that it was actually going to be years long, a years long fight. And so it was hard to make decisions in those moments of like uncertainty and not knowing what to expect next. Um, so, I mean, th those are some of our, our sort of initial things, but we were, it, what was really cool to actually see was like how quickly, you know, we had already some applications in and those youth were really quick to change that and reapply within that time of saying like, okay, so maybe I won't be able to have my own gathering or whatever it was an in-person thing for my project. So I'm going to switch it and flip it. And, and so it was really cool to see how quickly people were able to adapt to that. Um, but again, there was a lot of things down the road that we weren't ready for. And so, and, and what I mean by that is like, you know, internet and, and accessibility issues of like not having proper devices to connect to the internet. And that was one of the things I kept hearing all the time was like, oh, it's fine. We'll just go online. And I was like, that that's not as simple as it's actually pretty privileged. It's a very it's privileged, a privileged assumption <laughs> that you can just do that. Um, so so there were some hurdles that we needed to to get over and start to incorporate into what we were doing so that we could address those things and see if there was something that we could do. Um, so, so yeah, there was just like a lot of uncertainty and, and trying to be nimble and fast and adaptive, but yeah. And so from a grantee perspective or as a prospective applicant, you applied for the round dance and that is a, an in-person thing. So how did you start to think about how COVID would impact your project, but also the types of funds that you would ask for and how a funding agency needed to be considerate of these new restraints? For us, like, the pandemic was definitely, uh, it kind of made us uh, have to adapt to everything, right? And we've talked a bit about that. So for me, like, um, going into our, our, our most recent, uh, what do you call it, application for wave you know we we were able to like look at the strengths of like our our virtual round dance and we actually were able to strengthen it in our application so hopefully hopefully we can have it in person hopefully you know we we hope to do that but if if not we're still gonna we're still gonna do it virtually as well if we have to do that in like february 2021 or 22 sorry i'm getting all my dates mixed, mixed up here but um yeah so that's kind of what comes to mind when i think about how we've had to adapt, but um, there's definitely other things too. Um, I think about like, so earlier in the pandemic, I guess we, we had like a retreat. So we met, you know, it was a, a collective of the youth that we work with. We, we met for a weekend. It was like COVID safe and everything, but, and it was before the pandemic really escalated here in Ontario. And uh, we, we met with the youth and they talked about like all the things that they want to they want to see and a lot of them were they had the pandemic on their mind so they were thinking differently and so a lot of things came up and one of the things is like this new thing we have with a7g which is our marketplace and so the marketplace allows for indigenous young people to to come to a space to actually trade for for goods rather than uh you know just use money or you know go back to capitalism all the time they're able to just trade you know the assets that they have with what you know, we have here and collected as a community. So for example, we were able to get some wild rice and then some youth were able to come by and trade like, you know, art supplies that they have or, you know, painting supplies and we were able to just make trades. So 
that's been like a big thing that we've, uh, yeah, that's kind of come over the, the pandemic. And there's more examples and maybe I'll share more later. So, yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome. And and I find it's it's interesting too that we're now now that we kind of like had this experience and we're we're kind of moving forward. I, I, I wonder about like how we're all thinking in two different ways now. Like everyone's thinking about, well, if I can do it, I'd rather do it this way. But, you know, having like a backup plan, which I think in, in a lot of ways is really good to to kind of be able to think that way and have the ability to kind of push something that was so heavily revolved around gathering and being together and actually still being able to do it, but in a different way online and still have the same feeling. I mean, not completely, but at the same time, it's um, totally needed and necessary from the community. Right. So I find that really, really interesting. And the other, one of my, as you were talking to, it kind of sparked it for me was like one of the things that I perceived, I guess, from the sector like from the philanthropic sector was, you know, the types of, of projects that OIP supports like A7G and the round dance. And, you know, we, we support tons of different types of projects, right? So it's not just kind of like one sort of silo type, but um, let's say for like, you know, gardening or um, medicine growing, any of those kinds of things that felt, um, it felt like to me like the sector looked at those before the pandemic as if they were cute and trivial and being like, oh, that's nice. You want to make a garden. Cute. Okay, here you go. You know, go ahead. And like for us, it was always critical work. Like that's how you can survive. And then this pandemic hit and all of a sudden this like I felt like this perception was like, oh, shit, the natives, they know what they're doing. You know, like, <laughs> oh, like they they. Like, of course, everybody wanted to grow a garden because we were worried about, um, you know, scarcity of food and like the transportation and all of these things that we were so used to were, were starting to be taken away from everyone. The convenience of living in a city was no longer convenient. And so I just found that interesting that like they all of a sudden saw the importance of having a community garden or learning how to trap or, you know, all of those things that are like basic, like survival things. And they, th then all of a sudden they, they, per the perception was that they were important and not trivial, trivial and cute. And each of those things center like community care. Like you have your care packages, you're looking at food sovereignty, feeding folks. And I was just wondering when you think about the pandemic and applying for funds, like, are there challenges in pursuing these types of grants or these funds because these types of care are looked at as like trivial or cute or not really taken as seriously within the sector? Yeah, like just being in this space, um, it, it's hot in here, right? So we were outside and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like just yeah. to give some context, yeah. like there's like an air conditioner in the one window. <laughs> But this is by no means a luxurious building. <laughs> and um, there used to be like sometimes like 50, 30 young indigenous people all gathered in this little room. <laughs> so it's like hot with just the four of us. So imagine like 30 people. <laughs> here. But yeah, going back to the summer, it, it really like, I think being outside, it really got us thinking like you need to do more outside. And I think that's where like the gardening stuff came up and like just understanding that like, this is our way and it's always been our way. And um, I think that's kind of led to where we're at today. 
A lot of the stuff we're doing right now is actually through like mutual aid. The ones that aren't necessarily, we have to really like think about how we're wording everything so that it makes sense to, I guess that, how do you say that? Like, so I'm, maybe I'm not speaking close enough, but um, we have to like cater it to the, the funder, right? And not, it's not necessarily what we want to do, but we have to do it that way in order to get funding. So I guess for us, we really try and rely on community more so than the granting. But, you know, folks like WAPE have been really great in the sense that they haven't had, to, we haven't had to do that part of it. Like, you know, it's just like you, you necessarily, you guys like trust us, right? I'm sorry, <clears throat> you guys trust us. And, um, and that's like a really big thing for us, I think, because... Yeah, like I said, most of the time we have to like say things differently or the grants we apply for. It's like, you know, we have to do this huge essay, this huge like 20 page thing and three meetings and all this stuff just to get a little bit of money just to support young people. But as we all know, the the support is needed um, because we sit with those youth every Friday and they tell us what they need. So, again, going back to that, I think that's a big part of the work we do is the youth tell us what they want and. Um, it's led to like gardens, it's led to care packages because we know that a lot of the youth, like some of them don't have access to, I don't know, like being able to go to the grocery store or maybe even have like money for gift cards to go to the grocery store. So like all these things they share with us in Circle and like the spaces that we hold, we, we collect those things and that's kind of where the care packages come from and like the gardens. So yeah, I think that's... Uh, that's kind of what I wanted to share about that. So, And I picked up on the trust thing, too, because like that was something that we had as OIP with our funders kind of witnessed and, and experienced, too, was like, you know, there's this arduous process of going through a, applying for a grant. Right. And you have to change your language, which is really unfortunate. You all of a sudden have to be like. I got to say this in a way for somebody who is not part of this community to understand, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's hard when you try to apply to something and you have it evaluated by a group of people that don't understand you and are making decisions on whether or not you receive critical funding is there's a problem, right? It's a problem. But one of the things that, that, you know, we sort of experienced was this, it felt like all of a sudden our funders trusted us to do what we were doing, which is kind of unfortunate. Like it's sort of an unfortunate feeling was like, don't worry, you don't have to submit a report this year. And it was kind of like, oh, so you now you trust you trust us to not have to report back to you and prove to you that we are doing good work. And that is a problem to me because this is this is oftentimes a really intrusive process and is really difficult when we're talking about grassroots community led programs to try to explain the importance of, of certain things that you don't have to necessarily explain to any of the youth that, that it's important because they understand it's important, but sometimes having to try to do that for other people is really difficult. And so evaluating and reporting is hard. It's hard no matter no matter who you are or where you're coming from or what you're doing. And so it was a relief to be like, oh, okay, well, I don't have to do it this time. But then I was like, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing with this information? And this tells me that it actually wasn't really that important before either, but it was a process that you continuously implemented. And, and it, like, you know, like you just kind of wonder about like, where is it going? What happens to it? And do we actually need to continue to do this? 
Like, do we actually have to do this or could we have a conversation or could you listen to my podcast? <laughs> At what percentage of the population gets vaccinated? Do I have to submit a report again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what are those numbers? Like, yeah. what do you feel like is the way forward then? Like, do you think even podcasting uh, as a way of reporting or being accountable, like storytelling, like what are the types of opportunities the field should <laughs> engage in? It's so much more natural to be able to tell somebody about something. Here's here's a really quick example that happened recently. So one of our youth advisors uh, applied for an, a job and put me down as a um, uh, a reference. And they gave me a call and they asked me, they asked me questions like, how would you rate this person one to 10 for, I don't know what the question was. It was something really silly. And I, I was like, I don't even know how to answer that. Can I just tell you the story about like how we know each other? And so I refused to answer her, her HR questions because I was like, they don't apply. I can't rate a person. I was like, really? I was like, here, this is what, what's going on. And so I told her the story. I told her how we work. I told her what was going on. And she was like, oh, wow, that's actually really helpful. And I was like, okay, so your your questions, like, you need to change that process because it doesn't work anymore. And so I think about that in terms of, like, the, these ways that the sector works and the types of um, barriers that they put up and hurdles that you have to go through in order just to access funding that's not even theirs. <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah, like the, limiting the them as a person, potential yeah. success by like having these caps or using these types of metrics of reporting. And there's some guise of like accountability or something, but it's like if it's so easy to table it for a year, then what alternatives are there? Yeah, like there's there's just I think there's some thinking that needs to be put into, um, you know, question how your processes are and whether or not they're effective. And what, what happens to people when you put them through it? Yeah, and I want to go back quickly to when you hear from the, like Josh just talked about some of the needs that were starting to come out of the community at the start of the pandemic. And do you feel like the sector was ready to support those diff those new needs, like internet or technology, like access to laptops? It's, it's <laughs> funny because like, I don't, they're not problems that like, they're, these are issues that have always existed. Right. So it's important to acknowledge that like this, the pandemic didn't create them. It just made them worse. And so and it made it so obvious that no one could turn a blind eye to it anymore. Um, and so I, I think I think it took a little bit for the sector to kind of start to recognize that, like, in some of the typical granting that we've seen in the criteria, a lot of the times you can't buy materials. You can't buy these, these certain things that you're sort of expected to have a laptop and you're already sort of expected to have internet. And so oftentimes those opportunities don't allow for that. And so it was interesting to see how quickly they were able to, you know, the sector was able to pivot. And I think that's like, it's great to see, but at the same time, you know, is it going to, is it going to go back? Are they going to stop doing that? Like that's something that OIP had to do. We had to really think about, when we were reviewing these applications that, you know, if someone needs to buy a bunch of camping gear, they need to buy all the camping gear, you know? And like, I, not that we never really supported that, but it was more about other things, I think, in, in terms of how we prioritize the granting. And so now it's like, okay, these are actually vital 
critical pieces. So wait, last year we 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 purchased a bunch of laptops, uh, Chromebooks for those youth when we you know we sent out a survey asking like what are your needs right now? Do you need a laptop? Do you need this? Because if we we're going to put on an online gathering. How could we ever expect ever everyone to come if they didn't have a laptop or if they didn't have internet? You know, and the internet was a, is a piece too that we still haven't figured out because it's so diverse in location and area. It's a really difficult thing to kind of, you can't just purchase everyone uh, internet. Um, and the other thing too that it was really kind of eye-opening was that it, internet access, like you don't have to be in a rural, remote community to not have access to internet you could be in a downtown core and not be able to afford internet and my learning too it was an it was pretty eye-opening to like you know i was working with digital justice lab trying to find some solutions about like what can we do and uh you know hearing them tell me about how there's blocks and blocks of multi-generational houses in these apartment buildings and then none of them have internet and so it was like a really obvious inequity. And so it, it and it's gonna continue to be like that. And and we know that these are basic human needs at this point. Like you need to have this to, to survive. So so there's still a lot of solutions that need to be figured out, you know. Yeah, and then for OIP, um, we had to transition to like an online gathering instead of our our traditional in-person gathering. You know, in like 2019 was a really great gathering. And, you know, sometimes we just like would hang out by the fire, you know, but that's like that would be what, you know, people quote unquote call networking. <laughs> but it's literally just us chilling and getting to know each other. But we weren't able to do that, that kind of stuff in 2020. Um, so what we did is online and um, we definitely learned along the way. So you know, things that you have to be aware of when it comes to online is like not sharing the link publicly, you know, having a waiting room so you can like, you know, vet and make sure that there's no trolls coming in and all those kind of things. So there's like a lot of safety that we had to learn as we go. And then like Zoom fatigue is real. Like, you know, we we didn't actually schedule any Zoom events longer than two hours, you know, and like that's something I'd really recommend to organizations like, you know, Zoom isn't really a place where people just hang out. And so like I know people want to have like an in-person feeling, but it's just we just have to accept that Zoom is not that. <laughs> and so like one one example is that those young people that didn't have access to internet because they're off the grid, for example, they'd travel all the way to the city, you know, just to participate in our webinar. And so you have to be mindful of this is like, what kind of time are you asking folks to commit to, you know, and if you ask someone to come on a Zoom and they had to travel two hours back and forth, you know, you have to really be purposeful with that time that you're asking them to take up. And, um, you know, you'd never want to leave someone feeling like, oh, like, why did I travel all that way to be on this webinar? So just being like really mindful and purposeful and um, yeah, there's like so many, so many things we learned along the way. I think another one too is like, um, sometimes in zoom meetings, like everyone will keep their camera on. And so just being okay with people not having their camera on, you know, and even letting people know, like you can turn your camera off. It's okay. You know, just participate how you need to participate. So 
I think like COVID kind of brought back some of those like icky feelings that I used to feel in high school, you know, like, like you have to be engaged and like, you have to speak first, and, mm. like you have to be present. <laughs> and so I'm just like, I'm so tired of Zoom meetings. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be an auditory experience. <laughs> Put it on while you're cleaning the house or something. Well, the thing that I recognize too is like, like one of the places, especially as like, you know, in my, in my funder hat, uh, when we're at the gathering, that's my opportunity to show people I'm not scary, (laughs) you know, like that, that I can start to build relationships and trust with and like, oftentimes that's when people would feel comfortable to write me on Facebook or to text me and like work with me when they were having a problem. And that's all missing in, in these last few years, you know, of like, it's hard to convey my truth and my honesty through zoom and have people trust me through zoom. So I, I, that's something I have to accept, but it's definitely something that I see as being missing. You know, I'm missing those deeper connections with, our grantees and finding the different ways that I need to work with them um, and different things that I can support and, and provide. Um, and, and that's, yeah, it's just hard to convey through, through zoom. You know, when you're in a room with people like it, you don't have to stare at their face the whole time. You, know? like, <laughs> you can, you can feel things you're through body language. You're also not staring at your own face. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, Oh yeah, girl. <laughs> wondering if you've got a boogie yeah Yeah. I'm like staring at myself more than the other person in zoom because I'm like look interested you know like chin up oh yeah (laughs) nod (laughs) smile (laughs) do you like all of a sudden pass out (laughs) yeah (laughs) can't be like blank staring into the camera like (laughs) one of our one of our good friends they had like an image one time and it was like a loop image of their face and so it was like on the it was like their profile picture and so they had their camera off, but they had this like GIF kind of picture. Oh that, and it was like their face kind of moving and it just kept doing that. So it was pretty funny. <laughs> We're on this one Zoom call for like half an hour and I started noticing that that face just kept doing that same motion. And I was like, oh, they haven't even been like paying attention this whole time. Or they've been paying attention, but they've been off camera. And I just laughed about it because it's kind of what, what Gabby's saying. Like some people just don't want to be on the camera. So, but yeah, that's definitely like um, just to share a little bit more too, like so in, in Ottawa, like I, I work in the school board as well. And so like going back to the internet and computer thing, when schools, and I don't want to get too into the school thing, but just like, I know that for many families, even in the city, access to internet and like computers when school went online was another thing too. So like you had mentioned, it's a problem that's already existed, but it just kind of blew up even more knowing that like, there's actually thousands of like, or, yeah, thousands of youth in the city that don't even have a laptop or don't even have like internet access or it's like not the best right so there's so much like privilege behind like having internet and all that stuff so working in the schools I, I've seen that a lot this year and so again I know that families are are struggling so anything that we can do we're just trying to do it through A7G just trying to be as creative and and yeah as accommodating and just adaptable as we can be right now yeah i think those are practices too that like the broader sector that are trying to provide you know funding opportunities need to start asking themselves now like if you, sh- you they should be asking whether or not their their applicants 
have any accessibility needs? Like that should be a regular question these days now. Like it shouldn't stop because the pandemic stops that we should, you know, these are basic needs. And if you have the ability to provide that, then, then it, maybe it's your responsibility to do yeah. it, you know? So like, I think those are just important. We need to incorporate that. It can't go away after, after this stops. Yeah, like I was actually helping this young person fill out a registration form last week. And uh, so anyways, he starts reading through the registration form and he's he's Inuk, like he's visibly a brown person. And he gets to that question, are you a visible minority? And he's like, I don't know how to answer this. Like just those questions that we think is so simple to answer, like yes or no. It's like not everyone no understands what that even means um so anyways you know having people to walk you through like applications and registration is even really important and then on top of that we got to like the signature part and like they stopped teaching people how to write in cursive in school so i had to teach him how to make a signature wow <laughs> so but we had fun with it but <laughs> Like he added a star and a heart in his signature. Oh my God. I used to have a son in mine. <laughs> Bring it back. <laughs> but there's so much that, that people take for granted. And so as we start to see the light at the end, what are some of the teachings you carry with you? What do you look forward to? And yeah, like what are you gonna what are you gonna take with you as we move towards maybe gathering in person as you look to apply for funds? Like what is something you hope doesn't disappear now that the COVID thing's over and more things may qualify for funding now, but maybe will get taken away, like as somebody looking to support young people. Yeah. You know? I think like I think just I hope that the adaptability and like the openness of of like how things have kind of opened up for grants and things like that don't go away. Like because again Every community is different, and just like through A7G, we the more youth we meet across the country in different pla like different ways, and we realize that it's different for everyone, and the needs are so different in every community. So, the more open these grant applications are, it allows for people to to you know do what they need to do in their community. So, I remember being at the OAP gathering and meeting some of the youth, and all the it was so cool to learn about everything that they're doing. And there's one youth, I think, or one group, sorry, in um, Georgian Bay who was doing all this land-based stuff, and I was like. Maybe we should do some more of that. Like, it just got me thinking, too. And so I just hope that that doesn't go away. I hope that more and more, like, land-based stuff opens up because I think that's, like, that's one thing I learned over this pandemic is, like, the safest place to be is maybe outside, you know? And, like, that's, as Indigenous people, we had a, a webinar recently, and this one elder said, like, we're, we're outside people, and that's always been our way. And so, like, those have been some really cool reminders. So I guess with covid going back going to safer places and if that's outside then that's cool with me so just being able to do more land-based stuff might be good and again going back to being like in the summertime in the Bronson Center in this really hot room why are we doing that when we should be outside and like having barbecues and you know and so I think about like last summer we invited out some community members some elders and they got to see like what we do because usually it's just kind of closed off in the sense that it's just young Indigenous youth who come by the Bronson Center on their Friday nights. But we open it up to the bigger community and they got to see what we're doing. And, you know, and like a lot more people are kind of seeing what we're doing now. So I guess COVID's allowed us to grow in that sense. But also, but also, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that has gone on too that has been hard. So 
I think uh, for us as A7G, I think just if things are continue to stay open, it'll allow for like groups like us to grow. And there's so many Indigenous youth groups like us across the country, across Turtle Island that are doing new and not new, but like going back to the old ways, but being super creative with it. So I just hope that, yeah, that openness remains. And that's for me, that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I I have to agree with like, you know, learning how to garden like this is how we survive something like this you know and continuing to put the importance of like just some of those basic things like i think having the the marketplace is just like of course like of course and it needs to continue and to be able to push away from like you know, regular monetary transactions and actually putting value back into work and value back into time spent doing that and harvesting and, and you know, really understanding the, the time and effort that goes into some of these things. We take that for granted so much. And so I really hope that we can, everyone can kind of move forward with this, um, maybe this new perspective of like of valuing these things of valuing things that you thought were cute and trivial um and and can continue can kind of with that but then also i hope that the the compassion that people have had over this last while continues you know i really want to see us care for each other in these ways that we have been and understanding when we're having mental health issues and understanding those things. Like I've had so many people be so compassionate with me when I told them I was struggling. I really hope that continues because just because the pandemic goes away, doesn't mean that those problems disappear too, you know, and there's going to be lasting effects. And I just, yeah, I just hope that, that, that love and care can continue as we, you know, move into our new lives with, you know, our different sort of safety precautions in place and all that kind of stuff and valuing our health, you know, is really, really important. Yeah, for me, um, some of my hopes are that uh, we continue our land-based activities. I like to call it land-based living um, because activities and programs seems like you know, like a nonprofit thing that you do once in a while. Whereas like, I really, you know, next year I have a whole calendar where I'm like, okay, this week we're going to do this this week. We're going to go here and do this. And it's all like, you know, foraging, harvesting. Sometimes it's just like a fasting week or something like that. Um, or we're gardening, but it's like a whole year based off of the land and living with, the different seasons and animals and also seeing the changes because, you know, we can't deny that climate change is happening and it's, it's changing, it's changing a lot of that knowledge that our elders used to have. And things are very different when you go out on the land now. Um, But you have to go out on the land and experience it. Like you could read a million books about the land (laughs) And it will never prepare you <laughs> for, you know, half half the things that you'll experience. Um, so that's like a really big hope. And yeah, I hope that we kind of move into like almost like a hybrid of something like more like land based stuff. But also, yeah, we're going to be able to see each other again. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's I have a lot of hopes, but that's kind of what sums it up. 
I think too, sorry, I just wanted to add another thing is like the, the ability to put up um, boundaries. You know, I feel like at least for me, understanding what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not and actually just saying no, you know, to, to certain things and, and being given permission to say no to, you know, like for me, that was a few people, um, some of like, you know, my teachers that are around me giving me the support and the strength to actually do that, you know, cause I feel like in times before it, I just had the pressure. I always felt like I had to, and, uh, and actually that's not, that's not the case. And, and, um, setting the, the stage for how I want to participate and what I'm willing to provide in that space too. I think those are really good learning pieces from this. Being much more intentional or like where you spend your time. <laughs> time is very precious. <laughs> I do have a fun question to ask everyone and this should be free for everybody is like, what can you believe? What can you believe that we used to do? Like, is there something that you're like, I can't believe we used to do this without thinking about it. Is there anything that comes to your head? Yeah, like I think um, the whole like nine to five jobs, like I haven't had a nine to five job in years because it never fit me. And so I always like resisted it. But just the idea that folks, you know, had to like get ready for two hours, commute, go into the office and like do things that they can easily do at home <laughs> and then go in the same traffic with all the same people and go home and you know cook dinner <laughs> like holy cow what that is yeah that to me is wild <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i hope the working from home thing sticks like even if it's two days a week or like people should get a day or two to like work from home because we've been doing it now for over a year but I guess my thing, mine, yeah, would be all day meetings or something. Like, I just remember sitting in meetings all day and it's like we get that we can get the same amount of work done in three hours or two hours on Zoom. That and then also stacking, like touching people's shoulders in an elevator, like packing elevators to the point where you're actually like, you know, like trying, like touching people. That is something now that would be a crime. <laughs> like you can't get in people's bubbles anymore yeah I, I like that i like it when i you know i'm walking my dog and like men walk around me wow yeah. it is it and, and those are the guys who give me space i will like smile and thank you you know like but there's still people who just get really close to you but like yeah don't come near me don't come near me the one thing i can't believe we used to do is bowl we used to go bowling, stick our fingers in those bowl and those, those <laughs> balls and then and then like walk out and grab a snack. And like no one's washing those balls. Those are dirty balls. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that like people had to have like commercials telling them to wash their hands. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> like what? Why did people not wash their hands before? <laughs> why is this a new thing? It's like why was that an optional asterisk on life before and now it's like in bold like you have to. <laughs> it's so funny. There's so many gross things though too. Why like did people not cover their mouth when they coughed before? <laughs> or like go and like, you know, when they're sick, go around people. Like, why did we do that before? Well, I know why, because of capitalism, but. It's <laughs> <laughs> capitalism. It's but I'm happy thought. now. It's like, no, if you're sick, stay home. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop spreading the flu around. <laughs> yeah, like being in class or something and hearing somebody like cough aggressively and you're just like, why are you here? 
go home. And it was like fine before. You're just like, yeah, no problem. You're like, I get it. I was sick last week, too. I was here all week. <laughs> I couldn't afford to take the day off. <laughs> so I hope that we don't end up packing elevators again. A stranger's breathing down your neck is a big no. I mean, I really want to go bowling. I'm not like, I'm that's gonna not still go. <laughs> I, I, I just maybe we get our own dedicated ball. BYOB. Bring your own balls. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say balls. <laughs> Josh. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it has certainly been a time of reflection, a time of care, a time of deep stress, a time of sorrow for many. Um, I'm looking forward to developing those relationships, looking forward to laughing with others in person. There's just something electric about being in person, but not forgetting the accessibility of doing stuff online at the same time. So I think uh, what I heard today was a lot of very resilient and adaptable people who rose to the challenge that was a global pandemic. And I appreciate everybody sharing their thoughts today and for the amazing work that you do for the communities and for the young people in your lives, because that's hard work and it's hard work. And yeah, I would just like to say Chimmy Gwech and thank you, Josh, for joining us today. It was great to have a A7G community perspective, although Gabby is just as well versed in community perspective but it's nice to get a variety of voices here and thank you Thea for speaking some truth about the sector and (laughs) (laughs) some of the changes you've had to go through in advocating for what the community was saying was their need arising from the pandemic or at least being more visible or exacerbated given the pandemic so we hope you give us another chance and keep listening we have more episodes coming Gabby oh I was just gonna say Stay tuned. (laughs) She's like, I want the last word. (laughs) No, I was actually just getting ready for like our group. Miigwech. Hi, hi. (laughs) One, two, three. Miigwech. Miigwech. Hi, hi. Bomb on peace. See you next time.